0: Thank you, Barney. We have been in a series in Ephesians. If you've been with us uh, recently, you will know that we are looking at this new community of living together. Uh, I think we're on number six. It might be five. I've lost count um, of where we are in this particular series. And we've got to the point in, the, uh, in Ephesians that we've just read uh, towards the end of chapter five and into chapter six, where we look at, and we've entitled it, New Patterns of Behavior. Actually, let me just say, I just really enjoyed last week, particularly. Is Jenny here? Or has she gone out with the children? She's gone out with the children. Wasn't Jenny great? We'll have to let her know. She was really great when she shared what it was like to be, or trying to work out what it's like to be imitators of Christ when hanging the washing or doing the washing up. And I particularly loved her comment, which was, God gave me enough uh, grace, was it, for the day, and I'd run out by half nine or something, and I thought that was just superb. But as we move on with this passage this morning, we are going into that area of what does, how does this work out in our family lives? How does it, um, how does it fit? And actually, it follows on uh, very neatly from last week when we were looking at what it meant to be imitators of Christ. Um, and essentially, what Paul is saying is, okay, so we've looked at this, we've looked at us being imitators... How, what's the result of this? How does this work out in our families? And our reading started with verse 21. And it says in, uh, and it'd be good to keep your Bibles open this morning, by the way, submit to one another out of reverence of Christ. And I just want to, right at the beginning this morning, say that that is our key verse. That is the foundation on which everything else must follow. We have, Seeing all the teaching up into, to now, Paul has taken us through Ephesians, and we get to this, if you like, hinge verse that takes us from, okay, this is what we understand in regards to uh, the church being the body of Christ and Christ being the head and all of that. And he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And everything that follows, that is our foundation. Let's just remember that as we move forward this morning and look at it. It's not a bad verse uh, to form as our foundation, but it's actually a concept that some. It's a very concept, it's something that we need to get right. Submitting to one another. In our culture today, this verse jars heavily with it. It goes against what we kind of know as being the norm. Submission has never been a popular concept. All about yielding our will and desires to those of another. Western culture today is different, isn't it? It's built around the culture of self. Every decision starts with what's in it for me? The problem is if we use this approach to our relationships And especially in marriage relationships and family relationships, then it fails miserably. The reason for that is no human can constantly meet all of our needs. There is no, ladies, perfect man out there. Stop looking. Men, there is no perfect woman out there. We fail miserably. Marriages fail, children rebel, work relationships break down. So this morning we have an opportunity to consider how these relationships should work from God's perspective. How does our family life fit in to God's plan? But before we continue, I just want to challenge something. I'd just like to challenge the approach that some may take to this passage Because some may ask, is this really relevant for 2014? Now it's important to be aware that the cultural background of Paul's day, in a word, in first century societies, the situation in family life was one of patriarchal. That is, the man was definitely regarded as head of the household. He would be responsible for ruling over not only his wife, but the children and any slaves and any dependents that happened to be there in the household. He was sole in charge. And this pattern would not only be found in the Greek culture or the Gentile culture, but it even included the Jewish society as well. The very words that Paul uses in writing to the Ephesians when he talks about the head for the husband and to submit for the wife would be used by other writers that day. And it would be a pattern that those societies would be used to. So he's using the same words as other writers. He's looking at it um, and using those same words that people of that day would be used to. The question is this. Is he teaching the same system? And if so, what does that mean to us today? Well, at first glance, we could be in danger of dismissing this as no longer relevant. But let's not be too hasty. We may miss some amazing truths that help us understand God better. Family life is often challenged in our world today. Pressures of life, pressures of our work, and even pressures of church. Can get in the way of family life so we need to consider this passage carefully and not just write it off as not being relevant beyond the first century Now the question is we also need to ask what family life means as part of the wider church Paul's been speaking so far about how as a church we're part of the family of God but does that do away with family as we know it How does our own family fit into all of this? Can we be committed to God and committed to our marriage and our children and our family? Okay, let's take a closer look before we jump to any conclusions. The first thing to notice in our passage is the use of one particular word that crops up several times. And that is a very little word and it is the word as- you may have spotted it as we've gone through, Paul insists that this head-submit pattern must be worked out not as in society around, but as in the relationship between Christ and the church. The words he used may be the same, but the model is completely different. And we're in danger of missing the point, as I suspect those he was speaking to in the first century may have also been because of this little word as. As Christ is head of the church, so the husband is head of the wife. As the church must submit to Christ, so the wife must submit to the husband. This means in order to understand what Paul means here, we must first work out how the relationship between Christ and the church works. To get us in the right context here, we must not take this passage as a standalone piece of teaching because at the very least it has to be taken in the context of the wider book of Ephesians. So let's just look back at some of the earlier verses that we've looked at over the last few weeks. Fleck back with me to chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 22. Barney, could you turn this mic on as well? It's cutting out and it's annoying me. It must be annoying them. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Christ is head. This is where the teaching comes from. This is the foundation of what we're looking at today. Christ is the head and we, the church, are his body. It's also picked up again in Chapter four. Turn with me to chapter four and verse fifteen. It says there, instead speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does itself. Its work. So you may be struggling this morning to understand how, as a husband, you are meant to emulate the relationship that Christ has with us, his church. Don't worry, we'll see in a minute that even Paul struggles, even though he's writing it and he describes some of what we're about to look at today as a profound mystery. However, let's not write this off because it doesn't work in our society as being no longer relevant only appropriate for those in the first century because it is very much relevant. The relationship that Christ has with his church is most relevant, and how that should reflect in our lives and in our relationships should therefore still be relevant. One of the other things that often trips us up, and we in this nation have the most amazing resource in I don't know how many versions of the Bible written in English, and how many commentaries and supporting documents that we have to help us unpack it. But if you take a look at the passage that we've read this morning uh, in chapter 5, verse 21, you will find that it's been split up. There have been headings added. In your Bible, you might have three headings for our passage. The first being wives and husbands, and then children and parents, and finally slaves and masters. Those headings, of course, weren't there in the original Greek. And I just want to demonstrate something about the original Greek, and I just want to reread some of our passage. In fact, I want to go back a little bit and start at verse 18. Let me read these verses to you. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. I'll stop there, and the reason I'll stop there is that's the end of the sentence. In fact, what I've just read is one sentence. In the original Greek, 74 words of Greek make up that sentence, and it starts back when we talk about not getting drunk on wine. Works its way through the passage looking at, this is Paul speaking, all the areas of where we should be with worship, and then goes straight on into the passage that we've neatly divided up with paragraphs and headings in our Bible, And totally leads us to think, oh, actually, that's nothing to do with this. And that's completely wrong. It's everything to do with it. Now we understand that we have to consider another relationship. The relationship between worship and family life. We should speak to one another in song, sing to the Lord, give thanks and submit to one another. It's all part of the same sentence. We cannot therefore say, oh, what does Paul teach about the relationship between husband and wife? And head for that nice section that's headed husbands and wives and say this is a standalone passage because it very much is not. We miss the point. Our marriage reflects our worship. The video earlier that um, left the room a bit quiet speaks of that, doesn't it? There's a real challenge. How are we in our family life? How do we come to worship with God? That is what Paul is talking about here. You see, we're sometimes in danger of taking a passage and instantly becoming tripped up with verses. We go straight off to the one with a heading, and then the very first verse we look at is, Oh, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Applying our own experience and culture Treating these passages just as instruction and perhaps becoming a bit legalistic. What do I need to do? I need to submit myself to God and to my husband. And then getting all frustrated and bogged down. We don't need to. Let's not forget our key verse. Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Let's focus on that verse and give consideration to the verses that precede it and realize that Paul is saying, Church, if we get this, this imitating Christ together, then the result in our relationships will be, and he goes on, this is how it plays out in our relationships. Okay, let's move on from submitting wives and let's consider our loving husbands. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as, there it is again, as... Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Love. Love is made very cheap in society today. Consider some of the songs that you might hear on the radio or on the television. I had to look at one or two of the lyrics yesterday. There's a song by Rihanna that is unbelievable, but I've, been, I've promised my daughter I won't read them out might exasperate her. But there's magazine articles. There's adverts. There's television and soap opera. Love is made incredibly cheap. Which means that verse 25 for us husbands becomes even more of a challenge. Because husbands, it's time to consider how our relationship with our wives work in response to God's love for us. What do we see in this verse and those that follow it? Three things. Firstly, it's a sacrificial love. just like to go back uh, towards the beginning of chapter 5 that we looked at last week. Walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The Christian husband's love does not hold on to power, possessions, or prestige, but sacrifices all of that for his wife. This is how it works to be a Christian head of the house. We have to sacrifice ourselves. Second thing, I just want to move on from verse 25 into verse 27. Present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Christ is at work preparing his bride. As husbands, we need to help our wives grow in holiness and long for them to do so. Come back to chapter one in a second and verse four. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for the adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. This is what Christ thinks about us. But this is, husbands, what we must be doing in loving our wives. Let's encourage our wives to see their full potential and to be brought out and to fulfill their purpose in Christ. It's often something that's overlooked in church and I think something that we need to do more of. Encourage our wives to take a more active role and grow fully into their potential. Then moving on in the verses we get to Uh, second half of verse 28 through to 32 and we get to this section where Paul starts to say this is a mystery. We are one in marriage as is Christ and the church being one with Christ as the head. This is indeed a mystery that Paul himself is amazed by. The church is the body of Christ. We are his limbs of his body. So in nourishing and caring for the church his body, Christ himself is lavishing his love on something that is not separate from himself, but actually a real part of himself. I'm not going to go too deeply into this this morning, but I know there will be some scholars amongst you who may also struggle with this concept, and I will let you make up your own minds. But here, the church is a precious sorry here, but the church is precious to Christ as his own life, which he sacrificed for us, his church. So there you go. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Okay, let's move on to some other household relationships and children and parents. One of the things that's troubling me in our society today is the way we often see children being treated as commodities. I'm not talking here about children being sold as slaves or anything like that. And I don't mean that we are buying and selling our children. But I do see a tendency for people to treat them as their possessions. People seem to see it as a right to have children. And although I'm not against the wonders of modern-day science and the understanding that we have uh, today of biology and the amazing ways that children can be conceived today, we need not to treat them as our possessions. Regardless of how they are conceived, they are a wonderful gift from God. The Christian understanding of children goes beyond the biological understanding, and these verses here help us to better understand how both children and parents need to see each other through new eyes. And there are two clear things that we need to look at here. Number one is this. Children must obey their parents in the Lord. That is, they and their parents must belong together to the Lord Jesus, living together as he wants, as fellow members of his body, and grow together... to maturity in him. Back to chapter 4 a second. Remember, this is all part of one big journey that Paul's taking us on here. Chapter 4 and verse 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's not just talking about us adults. That's talking about the children. The children have as much right to understand this teaching as we do as adults. and I know that that's what's happening right now just down the corridor and praise God for it. Second point. I'll come back to that one in a minute. But second point. Parents must bring their children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Verse 4. That is They must set aside their own ambitions for their children and train them for what the Lord wants them to be. We as parents should be the passers-on of the Lord's instruction and not just trying to make little tiny replicas of us. Because if we do that, we will just make the same problem. (laughs) We need to be training them in the instruction of the law. So alongside us, our children are fellow members of the body of Christ, equal with us before the Lord. Yes, with some need for spiritual nurture and some love and some teaching to with us continue on the path of becoming mature in him that Paul spoke about in 4.13. And yes, children must obey. Why? They have to learn the basic principle of self-control which forms part of Christian discipleship. But as parents, and here's the balance, we should see to it that their obedience must not be harmful to them. Hence the need to balance. We must not exasperate them. If we abuse our authority... It will just create a deep-seated resentment in the children who are forced into submission. Yes, we want them to obey, but we can't force them to obey because that will break the relationship. And believe me, years later, it will build into something that becomes such a deep-seated resentment that it can affect them as they grow and can then affect them as they become parents which is why the focus has to be on the training of them in the law. Parenting is a challenge, yeah? Few relationships bring much joy and sorrow as that between a parent and a child. I speak, of course, as a parent. One of my children's in the room. I'm being very careful what I say. I know that it's one of the best privileges given me, but also often one of the most challenging at times we often get things wrong maybe because of our own experience when we were children if we've been created as mini replicas of our parents <coughs> chances are we're just like our parents and we will make the same mistakes Now, I was talking to somebody the other day about their childhood and uh, I think she was the only daughter in a family as the daughter, she could wrap her dad around her little finger with anything she wanted, except for one thing. She wanted to learn the piano. And you think, well, why on earth didn't you manage to get your dad to allow you to get a piano lesson? I mean, that's great. Children, they had piano lessons, didn't they? When he was younger, his dad wanted them to learn to play the piano. And, he, and she So he hated it. Her dad hated having to be forced to play the piano. Deep-seated resentment resulted to the point that when he became a parent, and even though his daughter wanted to learn to play the piano, no, not doing that. Do you not want to relive my childhood experience? It's not the way to go. See how important it is as parents. It's such a tough job. My notes here, I've written, if Adam and Eve, even with the best of parenting, could go astray, we ought not be surprised that it's tough. Nor should children expect perfection from their parents. Recalling that they too have been parented perhaps by less than perfect adults. Okay, let's move on. Slaves and masters. Another passage that we could be in danger of overlooking. After all, I assume none of you have got a slave at home preparing the dinner. So let's bring it into a modern day context, shall we? Let's reread the passage. Employees, obey your boss with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good you do, whether you are slave or free. Employers, treat your employees in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. The point here, of course, is the same as with wives and husbands and the same with children and parents this passage is here as in response to what is it to be imitators of Christ, how does that work out in our everyday life at work? In response to our relationship with Christ, our relationships at work should be changed. And I've got four key points here for you. And they're all news. Now this assumes, of course, a little bit of Us being Christians doesn't necessarily assume that our boss is a Christian. But how we should, in light of this passage, approach our everyday work is that we should look at things in four new ways. Firstly, verse 5, we should have a new loyalty. Just as you obey Christ. Our loyalty to our boss should be the same as our loyalty to Christ. Secondly, a new master, verse 6. After all, who are we serving in the long run? We should be doing things in a new spirit. says in verse 7, wholeheartedly and with enthusiasm. And then fourthly, a new motivation, verse 8. Why do we do it? We do it because of Jesus, not for our own progress or to better ourselves. We do it for his reward. And then verse 9, if we happen to be employers and in that privileged position of actually having staff, we need to understand that from our heavenly master's perspective, we are all one in him. Yes, you're still in charge. But how you treat your employees needs to be done knowing that we are all part of one body. So in all things, we are serving the Lord. doesn't matter where we work, who we work for. We are serving the Lord. That, of course, plays out into it doesn't matter what job we do. We are serving the Lord. It doesn't matter that you might think your job isn't very spiritual. You're serving the Lord. Just to conclude, and time has gone. My parents are, and were and are, godly. No means perfect. My bosses didn't always treat me right. And I didn't always get it right either. But I'm learning to focus on Christ. Not the shortcomings of people around me. Given a reverence for Christ. Our key verse, verse 21 of chapter 5. Submission to Christ, verse 22. Obedience to Christ, chapter 6, verse 5. Doing the will of God, verse 6. And serving the Lord, not people. Verse 7. Let's pray. Lord, forgive us if we take a look at a passage and sometimes overlook it as not being relevant. Help us to understand this passage that we've looked at this morning. Lord, as we might unpack it later in the week in home groups or Perhaps consider it further over lunch or during the week. Lord, help us to understand more fully ourselves how we should make this work out in our lives. Lord, we are so grateful to you for the sacrifice you gave to us. We've celebrated that this morning around the communion table. Lord, we will never be able to match up to your love for us. But I pray that you will help us grow in that love and demonstrate that love. Whether it be as husbands or wives, whether it be as children or parents, whether it be as bosses or employees, help us, Lord, to share your love with those around us. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to end with Jesus.